to Navigating Change with Shane and Mike. We are in the next part of our conversation with Dr. Don Frazier. Last episodes, we have talked about Don's life. We talked about his call. We talked about his time at Christ Church. Today, we're going to talk about church music. And of course, next to me is Shane Bishop. Shane, how are you doing this fine afternoon? I'm really well, Mike. I can't help noticing you look just a little older than you did in the earlier show. I'm trying to think what's happening. Yeah, I don't know. I wish it was the Benjamin Button thing happening when I was getting just younger day by day, but there is something going on with me. Maybe it's too much coffee. You know, I was thinking today about how I had several times in my life I could have intervened in the aging process. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a point at which your hair's turning gray. Yeah. There is a day that you could say, I'm going to use just for men. Yes. And I'm going to keep my hair the same color the rest of my life. But I didn't pull the trigger on that day. Mm-hmm. And now now it's all gone. I can't really just show up with my hair looking like it did in the 90s. Am I beyond that point? No, you're not beyond that okay. point. I feel like you're still redeemable. And you want to okay. know why? <laughs> Tell me, Shane. It's because we're not on video. That's right. The people <laughs> true. Yeah, true. see you have no idea yeah. what you look like. The video is so crisp now, so they really wouldn't know. Hey, Shane, there's one thing I wanted to tell you. We now have over 2,100 downloads. In fact, we're probably at 22 or 2,300 by the time this podcast comes out. So we've had 2,300 downloads of our show so far. All right, man. I have no idea what that means. Basically, here's what it means. I'm glad you asked. That tells us that it was we more are- of a statement. Okay. That tells us that we are more than <laughs> we are in the top 20% of podcasts to start off. Okay. So out of all the podcasts out of in every all the world, single podcast in all the world, we are in the top 20% to start off. Because like I think there's like 40 podcasts that are called Me and My Cat. So you're saying that right now we're ahead of like 38 nah. of them I, n- right now. We're probably not ahead of the cat ones. Those are probably pretty popular. <laughs> We might be ahead of, of might, other might ones. Might be ahead, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. But, but you're thinking, you're thinking for for what you expected that we're doing better yeah. than you expected. It, it's a way to thank our listeners for downloading and subscribing and rating them. Doing all of that, that's really helped us out. And you know, entering a contest to win some free ice cream, like we talked about last time. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. I, seriously, people do occasionally say to me that they enjoy the yeah. podcast. And they, they, they get good information, that it's helpful, that it's yeah. entertaining. Yeah. And I was telling them, I said, we're trying to be about 51% of one, 49% of the other. And we, we sort of go back and forth with being entertaining. Yeah. But we also want to help people navigate their lives, right? There's and no and leadership. And I like, I like what you always say, that all things, you know, we, we're, we're really discussing all things. It's an yeah. exhaustive list an, of things. Yeah, as long as it's not a show about nothing, you know, well, and, and there is a question, if if you're really doing everything, are you doing nothing? But yeah, that's a different kind of philosophical that's, that's, thing. Th- but uh, that is very different. Speaking of philosophical, I want to bring in a very philosophical man, Dr. Don Frazier. We talked with him last time about he, he, he's giving me a strange look. I like yeah, that. Yeah, you never like really that. thought about it. Mike, Mike will go. Let, let me just tell you something, Don. Like, Mike why, will why is there he will yeah. reach for a segue. Yeah. And I, I like mean it. reach to the point he will pull his labrum yeah. out of his shoulder. Do, he's reaching so He doesn't so go for low-hanging fruit, does oh, he? Oh, no. No, no, it's too easy no. for me. Today, how did I – I tried to get a conversation going at lunch. Do you remember what yes, I did? Yes, yes. He, he brought up something well, at lunch. With five other people. We, nothing was really happening. No, we were just there quiet. Was no conversation. <laughs> it was very quiet. And I was thinking to myself, this is the most enjoyable lunch I've had in months. And then Mike brings up something to kind of get everybody chattering. Yeah, I, I said something like, anyone been, <laughs> anyone been gardening lately? 
That's what? what? I, like, yeah. And you looked yes, at me like, anyone so I, I saw Shane trying lately. to match, like, why would Mike say that? And he said, why, why did you ask that? Mike and I said, I was just trying to get this, a conversation started. Well, I think it's kind of professional tool. You're working at right. You, you go to you I'm go to a there. group of people that are having a perfectly good time, and then you ruin it, right? And you say, "Hey, I have something completely obscure. Let's waste thirty yeah. minutes of your life. You'll never get back." And then I walk away question. and say, "Well, I contributed. You That's did right. contribute. You <laughs> Not did well, contribute. You kind of started it, right? I started it, and yeah. then just watched it kind of. I thought you know, I thought trickle apart. away. Yeah, trickle away. I thought that apart. theme just carried conversation. I'm going to say for 45 seconds. No, it was more about the confusion of why I asked the question that actually took us into one place. But hey, let's bring in Don here. Is Don here? We're actually in Don's I'm office actually, yeah, with his huge here. poster of the Metropolitan Opera. Don, That's awesome. This was your debut, and Placido Domingo was there. I just want to know how did you do in your debut? How did you feel like you sung? This is a big yeah. opportunity because I think people yeah. probably get five to six true opportunities in their life. <laughs> and if they knock it out of the park, it creates it, it makes or breaks careers. How was your debut? You know, that debut, it was it was good. I had a wonderful experience in that. Um, it was a, a very small role. I was only in act one, uh, which act one of Parsifal is two hours long. So it's, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a good five hour long opera. So, uh, uh, but I was in act one and, uh, everything I sang, I, I felt really good about. I even got to, to hear the recording on the Metropolitan Opera Texaco radio broadcast on, on Saturday. As a matter of fact, it didn't get, it really didn't hit me that I was going to be on the radio broadcast that I'd heard my whole life until the day before the broadcast the guy who was the announcer called me to double check the pronunciation of my name. How cool is that? And it was the same voice I had heard as the announcer. Wow. So you've been listening to this your whole life yeah. and then you get to hear you. I get to hear me. Yeah. Don, well, this would same. be, I mean, Mike, this would be like you. Cause I know you grew up like with the grand old Opry, little Jimmy Dickens and, and that type of thing. So this would be like, if you, I'm not yeah. saying it happened to you, no. but if you got no. to be on the grand old Opry and then you got to, hear yourself on something you've listened to your whole life would that be a pretty a close approximation is, is that a segue or conversation starter i would say it was just lame all the I way will, around yeah i will tell you this though i i sang in nashville one time with the nashville symphony wow uh, nashville tennessee not illinois but yeah i don't think nashville <laughs> illinois has a symphony they do have the world's smallest prayer chapel okay it's right by okay. the interstate oh, okay. i'm thinking it's uh I don't know, maybe six feet by six feet. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, you're socially distanced you're, when you're in there, man. <laughs> as long as you're by yourself. One yeah. person in there. <laughs> no, I remember I was singing in at Nashville, and uh, I had um, didn't have rehearsals till late that afternoon, and I had flown in the night before, and so I just figured I'm going to walk around downtown Nashville and explore it's a little great, bit. Great, isn't it? And I walked around the, came out the front door of my hotel. Couldn't tell you the name of the hotel to save my life. Walked, took a right turn out the door, walked down to the end of the block turned the corner, and there was the Ryman Auditorium. And let me tell you what, just as much as I saw the Metropolitan Opera for the first time in my life, yeah. I still had that lump in my throat seeing the old the old Grand Ole Opry. It was just like going, wow, there's some history there. That's just that's just incredible. I still and, thought it was the neatest thing. And let me tell you real quick, let me let me tell all of our listeners, you say there's nine listeners. Uh, They've don't downloaded it 2,700 times, though. Yes, yes, they yeah, just yeah. keep doing it. And, and really, Mike himself's downloaded about 1,200 of them. <laughs> yeah. But I first met my uh, Don. We're going on a ride, just kind of getting to know him. He's early here, and, and I, I'm sitting there thinking, what's what's like a old 
athlete like me and a Juilliard guy going to really have in common. So we were going to lunch. I'm in my car and I had George Strait on. And those of you that know me, I'm just going to sing along because when I'm in my car and I ask people, is my music interrupting your conversation? I'm being facetious. I want them to shut up because I want to listen to music, you know? And so I turn George straight on and all of a sudden Don is singing with me. And I knew this is going to work out. This is going to work out because one thing Don said in the last show, or maybe the show before that, or maybe he said it not on a show at all, but Don's Don's a regular guy, you know? And, And that was one thing I really connected well with him. He's incredibly talented He's incredibly gifted. He's got this incredible resume. But at the end of the day, uh, he's just he's just a good person and he's a good friend. Well, uh, and Mike, I do like digging in the dirt and growing things too. So. Oh, you do. See, yeah. if you would have been there, you could have kept been that there. conversation I been a part going. Of that discussion. Dang it! Right yeah. now, I wish you were there instead of me. Yeah. <laughs> well, don't worry. I'll, I'll keep that. I'll keep that for next time. All right. All right. Let's move into our content a little bit for today. So we have content today. Yeah, we're going to give it a shot. So uh, we got, we're going to talk about church music today. Obviously, Don, people have got to know you. If you haven't heard that last episode, you're going to want to check that out and hear Don's incredible story. Got a passion for church music. Now, Don, here's the thing. Uh, this is how most people work if we're talking about church people. They get raised in church. They find a type of merch, mu- uh, church music that they like. And for some reason in their brains, they become convinced like it's the only type of church music there can, there can be, right? This right. is worship. This is what it should be. But really, we all, and we can all get like that. We all have our tastes. But they become a prisoner of the moment. But church music has evolved mm. over the centuries. Uh, it has evolved in a lot of different ways. Could you just kind of give us a brief kind of snapshot of how church music has evolved? Because I think it can help all of us with our perspective as we kind of, uh, you know, move in and out of our taste for church music. Sure. Um, of course, we know from from the Bible telling us that uh, they they sang hymns they, they in the in the early church. Um, they were also sang psalms. And so uh, these were expressions of, of faith and music. We don't know exactly how they went, but they were things that people could sing with together. When we get into uh, the Middle Ages, you start developing uh, the, the church with Gregorian chant and people singing How's all that in unison. Sound, Shane? You want to try that some I, Sunday? I really like. Is that something you could do? Could you I could do it. I could. It? I could do it if I could tell a joke. Go right ahead. Okay. okay. Oh yeah. Now you have to. I'm gonna. I'm going to. Uh, I'm gonna. Uh, transpose these numbers back to the early 90s when I heard this joke. So uh, this wonderful church uh, has, a, has a great pastoral staff, and they all get together every Monday morning to pray. And because they are experimenting with new worship uh, mediums and how to, how to, how to engage in worship, they, the pastor says, uh, how about we pray in Gregorian chant today? And everybody just kind of looks around. and So the first person to raise his hand is the um, the youth minister. So he goes, Dear Lord, thank you for all your blessings and for the ministry that we have here at this church. And Lord, you know that I'm only making $15,000 a year and no one can possibly live on that. <laughs> the next person to pray is the associate pastor. And he goes, Dear Lord, you know... I'm thankful for all the ministry I have here at the church, but I only make $27,000 a year and no one can possibly live on that. And then the senior pastor goes, 
Oh, Lord, you know, I'm thankful for the ministry you have here. I pray your blessings upon it, but I'm only making $37,000 a year and no one can possibly live on that. Then it's the, the music director's turn and he takes a gulp. He goes, Dear Lord, you know, I'm thankful for the ministry I have here at this church. And with my personal appearances and recordings, I'm making $125,000 a year. And there's no business actually. No business. <laughs> I have to thank Dale Matthews for that. Boom. Uh, yeah, that for that joke. Like it. So Gregorian chants. So Gregorian chants. We're staying on one note. One note, one and note. there's a little yeah. bit of a cadence at the end. All right. Yeah. Then they started adding in parts and harmony. You had a melody, mm-hmm. then you had parts. So that's when we started getting people doing four-part hymnody and and uh, singing. Also, the the churches that were built at that time also dictated some of the way the music was done. Yeah. So if you think of the great Gothic cathedrals and how mm-hmm. everything in that cathedral was designed to point up to God, built tall, tall yep. ceilings, but lots of stonework and the sounders so you have these beautiful slow madrigals and uh, with people singing in these wonderful melodies and and harmonies and just blooming all through this room and they are these massive organs that would lead the people in in their singing and then you get to the reformation and you have all of a sudden up until that point the church was really the 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 clergy were the ones that were taught in scripture, they all could read. They were they were really the educated people in sure. the town. Well, then you get uh, to this time of Martin Luther and the Gutenberg Press, and now the Bible can be printed in languages that are of the people and not just Latin, but you have an illiterate population. So you can print all the Bibles you want, but if they can't read them, it's not doing them any good. So they started doing a lot of hymns where it would teach theology. And so uh, through the, the great hymn writers yeah. through the Middle Ages and, and later on into uh, that period, they would start after the Renaissance. They were writing all of these hymns to help teach people theology. Martin Luther did a lot of that in, in his hymns uh, to, to teach people, you know, who God is, how important he is, what he's done. And um, as we get into the uh, 20th century, you know, we had hymns for three or four hundred years worth of just just lots of hymns. Then you get to the advent of electronic music, and in the 1950s, uh, you start having amplified music come out, and uh, it started to improve so much that instead of having a church with a full orchestra or a huge expensive pipe organ, you could have a guy with an acoustic guitar fill an entire stadium with sound. And that started necessitating a change where the church starting adopted right. that. And also the, the, the music of the era started influencing songwriters and things, and it started yeah. to filter into church as well. So the, the, the genre changed. It had the same basis. It had Christian theology as part right. of it, but the way we did music yeah. in church changed. So it adapted it, with the time. And it was to serve the people for the most part, to help them in one way or another, it sounds like. Yes, well, most after the Enlightenment, you know, mm-hmm. hymns were there to really help people think through their their salvation, okay. to, to think through their religion, okay? Yeah. And it was very cerebral, 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 yeah. And uh, then you get to the 1960s and 70s, and the, there was a... a call for a passionate revitalization of of worship and i didn't want to just they didn't just want to think about it they wanted to feel it they wanted to experience it and so Mm. music started to change and bring in more of the the 
passionate side of music, the sure. experiential side, mm-hmm. the, the Holy Spirit movement. You've got that movement in music for people to help express those emotions. Yeah. It wasn't just biblical knowledge yeah. that music was meant to express. They wanted those emotions. Yeah. They wanted to feel that. They wanted to sing about it. So the pendulum swung from this academic church music right. all the way over to this passionate, emotional church music on the other side. And as we've seen, anything that goes too far one way has to be corrected. Sure. And so there was a huge outlash against it uh, because people were saying, well, we, we don't want to lose what we've had forever, but now there's this new stuff and we have to incorporate it, but I don't get that. It doesn't speak to me. And so there's been a worship war going on pretty much since it seems like forever, but uh, especially in the 1990s, things started to shift and change in, in big ways. Then the 2000s, it yeah. really, really hit the, uh, during the 2000s. Yeah. And um, what's what's happened, and we can talk about later, I know that's another yeah. topic, but yeah. uh, the depth of music that's being written today in mm-hmm. a modern uh, yeah. way uh-huh. has become in many ways as deep in, in, in theology yeah. as it was in the hymn style from the past. And you know, Don, one thing that strikes me, when I look at the great hymns of the faith, they're often about God. A mighty fortress is our mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. And I look at a lot of the stuff that's come out in the last 40 years, a lot of it's to God. Yeah. You know, it's a love letter. Keith Green, mm-hmm. oh Lord, you're mm-hmm. beautiful. Your face yeah. is all I see. Yeah. It's, it's a shift, I think, from a pedagogical tool. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. To teach yeah. illiterate people yes. to an expression of love and faith. So in my mind, a lot of the old hymns and a lot of the music that came out in, in my lifetime mm-hmm. aren't even the same genre. Right. They're not right. even trying to do the same thing. Absolutely. And and Don isn't in general. Uh, thank you for sharing that, Shane. Well, you're reminded, welcome, Mike. You reminded. Sorry. Uh, you reminded me. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to worship. Like, for instance, in that, there's a fortress. Uh, what's the song? I don't a Mighty know. Fortress a Mighty is our God. For- a yeah, mighty people fortress. used to sing that back, you know. A long time ago. Yeah. 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 But there's a different like ways Tuesday. to worship. There are some songs that people, I, I kind of wonder if a regular person, in terms of a, a lay person, understands, you know, there's songs that you sing to God. There's songs mm-hmm. you kind of declare, if you will, or yeah. proclaim about God. Is that uh, something as a worship pastor, is that something intentionally you try to put in? Uh, to help people, you know, with their worship. Yes, you know the the scripture in Ephesians tells us to sing with, sing and speak to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual yes. songs. And uh, you know, psalms are usually uh, songs that are that are about God and sung to God, and they it's vertical. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hymns are about God, but for the edification of the body, for us yeah. to learn and to to reiterate why what we believe. Yeah. Spiritual th- songs are a whole other area where they they can be hymns, they can be psalms, they can be other songs that don't follow that. But it's the Holy Spirit. You're, the worship the worshipers are yeah. so in tune with the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit worships through them, and they're, they're, it's it's, yeah. it's they're all there, and it and it has this constant two way street that's just going back and forth. Yeah. And it's not that they're they're not we don't see it as uh, them singing in tongues or anything like that, yeah. but it's just the, I find it a lot when you know the, the Holy Spirit is so present that you can feel the electricity in the air mm-hmm. and you, the people are just engaged. There is this moment where we are no longer, it's just not our voices 
that are being raised. Yeah. Our hearts and our voices are all one with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is leading our worship and singing through yeah. us to the Father. And Don, you know, part of what I love about some of the new music, it's able to take what you just described and, and put it into words and emotion, because yeah. there are times when it feels like heaven's touching earth. Yes. And, and you see the lyric expressing this intimacy with God. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's great to sing about God and, and you get to better know God and you know the nature of God and the character of God. But it's something else to be head over heels in love with yes. God. Yeah. And to be able to put language into what is happening in that divine interaction. Yeah. You know, and as you juxtapose something like William James's varieties of religious experiences where he's trying to figure out, you know, cognitively what happens when somebody worships God. Mm -hmm. uh, that that's an enlightenment way to think about things, but I love just the freedom to worship yes. God, and for me that kind of reconnects us with just the the awe of the Psalms, mm -hmm. because the Psalms are very much these honest, raw yes. songs that the psalmist sings to God, and that's what I feel mm -hmm. a lot today. There's an honesty, there's a rawness to it that uh, people, I think, lean into, particularly in our culture. Well, and also, you know, you think about a, 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 a lot of the culture of the previous century, a lot of it kept emotion at arm's length. That's correct. And great hymns that have stood the test of time, while they may have a nostalgic factor because people remember right. them from their youth, they don't have that bring me in. There are some. You know, yeah. um, but even like it is well with my soul goes through some, I mean, is a, is a testimony of a man going through great trial with the death of his, his children on a, mm -hmm. on a ship um, and what he was dealing with that. But it still has a, there is not visceral in its, in its expression. And uh, I, I know one of the greatest uh, uh, controversial lyrics that came out was, um, was the, and heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss. Yeah, yeah. And people just got so upset because that was, it was too, it had erotic overtones oh, okay. to it. And Romanticism. Type. To me, the first time I heard it, I melted into tears because it reminded me of when my little girls would run to me and they mm. might have been filthy. They might have chocolate all over their face. They might, have, and they would just come up and they give me the biggest hug and biggest kiss. And I, I wasn't going to clean them up first. Yeah. I was like, come here. You know, that's just kind of what that meant to me. It was like a, a parent so, to a child, just this yeah. wonderful embracing. And I just, I just melted at yeah. that. And every time I hear that lyric, I melt. I know other people get turned off by it. I get yeah. that. But yeah. I, I've been able to, uh, in, in, in my own personal worship, sure. been able to experience those uh, those feelings of love and emotion. And just like what Shane said, the Psalms, the Psalms teach us how to talk to God, how to pour our hearts out in, in joy and in utter lament. they just, they just teach us how to do that. So I think you've given us great reasons why to sing in church. You know, these are reasons mm -hmm. that why, what about someone guys who, who just doesn't like to sing? Is it okay for someone who says, you know, I really just don't want to sing in church for whatever reason? Do you, do you think that's okay? Or what would you just say to someone who said, you know, I just, I just don't like to sing? Well, in my mind, if that's not what you necessarily want to do, decide why. 
find out why. Search your heart for why. Yeah. Am I not singing because I don't think I have a good voice? Okay. It doesn't matter. Here's the deal. God created you. Whatever voice you have, God wants to hear your voice. He wants you to cry out to him. He wants you to sing out to him. If you're worried what man is going to think, what the people next to you are going to think, I understand that too. I, I've, I've had critics throughout the year. I've had one critic spoil a great performance in my mind because, and that person just had some, a different a difference of opinion, but it's, it's part of, part of putting yourself out there. When you sing, you are putting your emotion, yourself out there. And so, yes, there might be people that judge. Um, and I think when, when we realize that if we, if we search our hearts for why we are singing or not singing, because you can go the other side and say, yeah. I like to sing because I want other people to hear me sing. Well, then all of a sudden you're not putting the emphasis on God. You're putting emphasis on you. Right. Really, really so, do some digging into yourself to see whether or not why you sing. Uh, but if you don't want to sing, that is okay. Yeah. But don't neglect singing in your heart and experiencing those lyrics and mm -hmm. letting, letting worship speak to you by the words you're hearing. Sing them in your heart. Sing them in your soul to God. He hears our spirit song, not just our physical voices. Amen. And that's just my take on it. What about Amen. you, Shane? Uh, I, don't, I don't think that I would prescribe what people ought to do. Yeah. One thing I learned a long time ago is people don't do what I want them to do. They do what they want to do. And That's people true. don't respond to the things that I respond to. Uh, they respond to things they respond to. Sometimes we respond to the same stuff. Sometimes we don't. Yeah. There are times I feel very singy. Yeah. You know, there, yeah. there really are. And for me, a lot of times what I like to sing is highly familiar stuff. People say, well, you know, the new music, we don't get to know that as well as we did the hymns. And that's correct. Mm. By the nature of contemporary, contemporary is a moving train. A hymnal is a greatest hits album of the last, uh, you know, a thousand years. And so <laughs> hymns, normally speaking, no matter what your tradition, you probably sang the same 20 hymns over and over mm -hmm. and over for years and years and years. And of course, they're in our long-term memory. When mm -hmm. we forget everything else, we'll probably still remember yeah. hymn lyrics. Yeah. Uh, they are in that long-term memory. So for me, hymns have a place. I love what my dad says. He says, hymns today are for personal devotion and recollection and memory. And then when you do sing one in church, it's kind of a treat, yeah. you know, and that, that's one way to look at it. So for me, if my heart wants to sing and join in the chorus, let her rip. Mm -hmm. And if I just want to listen and let God minister to me, yes. that's yeah. okay too. Yeah. So I think what's not okay is sitting there looking at your phone or thinking about where you're going to go to lunch right. or uh, making your grocery right. order. I, I think we have to engage. How people engage, I think, runs through the manifold of their own personalities. Yeah. I know some people who actually sing a little bit more hymns just throughout the week, sing to the Lord a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then for whatever reason, at a worship service, they don't feel like, you know, singing as much. I don't know what that's about, but I think it's great that they're singing well, to the Lord. Sometimes they want to listen. They just like to listen. That is a to wonderful they point they because I've to, been there too. Yeah. They want to just take, they take, want it, to in. take it in. Just yeah. like what Shane said. They, they, are being, they are being ministered to in, in that way. And they like hearing the people sing around them. They like hearing the people singing up front and it, while we worship, well, participation in worship 
has physical manifestations. Being yeah. engaged. I, when I look at someone, I cannot judge their engagement based on whether their hands are raised or their, uh, but I, I will see some person just literally looking at the screen and you can tell those words are drilling a hole through them right. and making a way for God to get into them and, and do something in their life. But they may not be singing. They're just, the, the Holy Spirit is touching them at that moment. And I remember when I was growing up, I would look around and this is when you did all hymns. I'd look around, not everybody sang. Yeah, I'm going to say 60% of the people sang and some people didn't even move their lips. Yeah. yeah. And so I Much don't less think, pick up a hymnal. yeah, I don't <laughs> think that's a new phenomenon. Some people no. say, well, people don't sing as much today as they used to. Yeah. I think it's about the same. Yeah. And some people just nice. aren't as crazy about music yeah. as other people. And sure. some people want to be ministered to some people want yeah. to participate. Yeah. I just think it's all okay. Speaking of minister to we'll, we'll close up shop in just a second. I have one other question. Is there a memory that either one of you had about how, some hymn or how some uh, moment in a church service where music really ministered to you, uh, you know, through a moment maybe even younger. I had a, I'll just quickly say, uh, there was a time when I was struggling with some uh, college class and I went to actually uh, an African American tradition church and they just kind of spontaneously started singing, Everything is going to be all right. Mm -hmm. Everything is going to be all right. And I remember it just hit me like emotionally out of nowhere where I felt like the song just ministered to me that kind of just echoes in my spirit to this day. Have you ever had any type of moment like that where you felt ministered to through, through song? I don't, you know, I don't know if I could put a, a pinpoint on any particular moment necessarily. Um, there's a lot of them. Mm -hmm. I would say, I remember, let me put it in the context of being a worship pastor now, and a former full-time professional singer. Um, as a professional singer, you, you they fly you in, they put you up in a hotel or whatever, and they're coming to get you for, for every rehearsal and for thing in there. They're whining and dining you and everything like that. Then the, per, then the, the gig is over, and you're lucky to get a ride to the airport. <laughs> okay? And I would... I know I could probably go back and I'd be willing to bet that the vast majority of people that I sang in front of would not remember my name to this day. Okay. It made an impact on them in the moment with the production, you know, and I got to, got to entertain them for a while and take them away from their, whatever was going on in their life. And they may or may not have enjoyed it. I don't care. I got my check anyway. Um, but today I will meet someone that knew me years and years ago and they will say that experience you had i had a piece in that because a song that i sang in church yeah. or something a service that i was a i was a part of either directing leading or something made an impact on their lives that is indelible yeah. that's that for me is what makes it, the impact it's, it's almost coming it's, back it's to coming you. the other way yeah. around it, it that's because people it has made an impact on them spiritually and made a memory for them that they still remember to this day. I, I tell you, one of the songs that 
for me here, I haven't had a, a big, you know, I'm working, so it's a little different. I'm not sitting to be ministered to. I'm trying to minister in whatever way I can. But simple gospel that you sang mm. a couple of times, just it's hit me if we're talking about That's songs. That's a powerful that, song. I love that song, yeah. which is actually a modern song, right? Yeah, it but is. It, yeah. it has some plain on old. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you, Shane, have anything that you've thought of throughout. Well, I, I do. I, I have one incredible memory uh, concerning hymns and and the rumors that I may have personally invented percussion in the worship uh, experience. Uh, I'm probably seven, eight years old. We're down in, in Fort Worth, Texas, in one of those little Baptist churches that are made of wood. They got wood floors and wood walls and wood in the back, and there's a real thin door in the, in the vestibule. Vestibule's an entryway if you weren't Was Baptist. it a double-wide trailer? Uh, no, it, no was, okay. it was up It was up for that. Because I've we been were, in those No, before. no, it wasn't yeah. First Church of the double-wide. Okay. We, we didn't have to take the wheels off when we okay. built our new church, Don. But anyway, we, we were in there, and Dad was uh, the preacher, right? So he set up front because there would be a song leader and the preacher. Both would set up front because yep. when the preacher wasn't preaching, people wanted to keep an eye on him. So I'm there. We're singing, we're singing Count Your Blessings. You remember the song, oh, Count oh, Your yeah, Blessings? Name blessings. them one by one. Yeah. Apparently, I'm about seven years old, and I don't know what happened, but everybody was seated because Baptists couldn't stand up for all the hymns. And, or sing the third uh, verse. But we were seeing the first, second, fourth verse. We were sitting down on that particular run. And I guess I had an ecstatic moment in the Old Testament since the word. And, and apparently as we were singing, count your blessings, name them one by one, I stood up and I held my hand up above my head with a one. And I would do a complete rotation. And then when I do the complete rotation, I'd go to two. And then I went to three, and three's really as far as I got, because all of a sudden, I was blindsided by my dad, uh-huh. who had scampered down from the seated area in front of the church and literally grabbed me in his left hand and carried me out of the church while everyone was seen. Carried me. My feet weren't even on the floor. Then in the vestibule, which I've got to tell you, was not well insulated, Every, you could hear everybody out there. Dad leans me over his knee, and with the force of an open hand of a man who'd been a boxer in college, applied the <laughs> discipline of the Lord swiftly. And from the left side to my scrawny derriere, whack. So if you were in church, it would have sounded like this. Count your blessings. Whack! Name them one by one. Whack! Count your blessings. Whack! And dad wears me out. I mean, wore me out, brought me in, set me by my mom, who had a momentary fantasy that I wasn't her child, <laughs> set me by my mom, went up and preached a rather fiery sermon, as I recall. So looking back, this would have been, you know, late 60s, early 70s. There yeah. is some talk that I will play a part in inventing percussion in the worship atmosphere. And wow. it's something to this day, Mike, that I feel very, very good about. I'm surprised you can still uh, sing in church. You know what? I got over it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a few years of counseling, I was talking again and everything. It was great. That's all it took. Well, we're going to uh, end this episode of Navigating Change with Shane and Mike. We want to thank you so much, Don, for joining us for Thank this you for show. inviting me. This, was, this has been a blast. Thank you for sharing your life and giving us a little education of church history and, and then just taking us into the worship room, the sanctuary. We really appreciate that. Reverend Shane, you got any uh, final words for us today? Well, one of the reasons... I think there's been so much controversy around worship throughout the centuries. You got to remember when they started bringing pianos in, 
Mm. People, it, was a, it was a controversy. People thought it was a vulgar instrument. When the Wesleys, when Charles Wesley started applying lyrics to bar tunes, there's always been drama around worship. And the reason I think it is, is because worship is so important. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, I think we were created to worship God. And when this life is over, we move into an area of worship that is uninhibited, no longer shackled by our mortal bodies or our finite minds. We enter pure worship before a holy God. Of course that's important to people. Of course it's important to people. People are passionate about that. And yet as time goes on, as generations move along, uh, what speaks to one generation isn't always what speaks to the other generation, but what's important and will always be important is that we, as finite beings, have been given this gift of worshiping our creating God. And it is the most incredible gift and the truly, the eternal gift that, that we'll ever have. So worship for me is such an important aspect of my life. I understand why it's important to other people. And I will say this as we close, Mike. I think in my 50s is when I started learning how to worship God. Mm. I think it's just been in recent years that I've opened my heart up enough to override my head. And all those things that I was always thinking about, like the sermon I'm about to preach, or what will people think if I stick a hand up, will they think I'm a charismatic? If I stick two hands up, will they think I'm a flaming charismatic? You know, just getting out of your own head. For me, worship happens when we have a direct passing lane with God, Mm. when we have this direct connection with God. And I can say this, if you've ever truly worshiped God, You've just had life as good as it gets mm-hmm. on this earth. Amen. Thank you, Shane. Thank you again to Dr. Don Frazier for joining us. Thank you for listening to Navigating Change with Shane and Mike. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and share this podcast and find Shane and I on social media. Thank you for listening and make sure that you keep the change. Mm-hmm.